And so we looked at the first three, and we kind of said, sometimes we can think of the first three as sort of habits of the mind, habits of the heart, love, joy, and peace. And so we've, we've kind of explored those. Tonight we're going to start on the, the, the second triad, the second group of, of three, which is patience, kindness, and goodness. And I think what we'll see is these kind of have more to do with interpersonal relationships. That's a huge application there. And then the last triad, or the last three, are faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And these, these are sort of general Christian conduct. John Stott, the guy whose prayer we're reading each week, he looked at these three and he said, I think the first three are really attitudes that I have toward God. The second three are attitudes that I have toward others. And then the third is sort of attitudes inside of me or toward myself. So there's maybe a number of different ways that we can think about it. But um, here's, here's my question to you is, what are, what are you like to live with? <laughs> What are you like to, to work with, like throughout the week? And if I asked people who, who are in those roles who can answer that, would they use a word like, oh, they're really patient. <laughs> um, I asked myself that question this week, and to be honest, I could not answer it with a strong yes. I, I've struggled with this one, I think, maybe so far more than all the other ones, and it, and it seems like God's kind of bringing this up, like, like there are boulders or rocks that are sort of buried, and he's sort of bringing them to the surface. This last um, week, or about a week ago, I, had, I was in the process, I had to get a, uh, a car, and so I got this used car, and it was the it was the biggest hassle experience I have had I don't, since I don't know when. At every single level, um, got it at auction, fr from title to insurance, everything went wrong. I mean, everything went wrong in the process. And so last week, I was at the final step. I'm at the DMV, and it's a Friday, and I walk in, and they're not that busy. And I'm like, this is wonderful. It's icing on the cake of a really horrible cake. So I go in there, well, I, the insurance card wasn't sent, and, and I'm trying to show the lady this at, at the desk, and the insurance lady's like, well, you know, maybe I can talk to her. And I'm like, I don't think you talking to her is going to help anything. And so, and then the title had been done incorrectly, and it's, it's five o'clock, and so I, they're having to email people, and I'm just kind of like, I'm trying to hold it together, right? But I'm just inwardly, I'm just I'm like, fuck, I just want to punch something. And, and just then, the guy who was at the other cubicle who works there came over, and he goes, hey, Pastor Brent, it's good to see you. And I was like, ah, what are you, what are you doing here? And it's, it's, this, it's this guy who I've, who I've known for a while, and he's like, I haven't seen it at church much, I'm out at Windsor. No. And it was just this reminder of like, oh, yeah, people are watching, right? <laughs> you know, because I was seriously like ready to lose it. And it wasn't anyone's fault, but the frustration level was just built up. I know my patients were like hanging by a thread, right? But it was this moment of God kind of saying like, hey, how you doing on that, Brent? You know? Um, because anyone can say they're patient when life's going great, right? I can say that then. It's when life is like struggle. It's when it's challenged. That's the only time it matters, right? It's the only time it really matters. So it's been something that, again, I have kind of been challenged with, struggling with here over the past <clears throat> couple weeks as well. And so what Paul wants us to evaluate, he wants us to ask this question, is um, I, he wants me to wrestle with my self-evaluation, and God does as well, my self-evaluation of how, how am I doing in that area of the spirit 
growing in me patience amidst really challenging times in our lives. So let's do this. We're going to kind of walk through a couple different pieces. Just first, let's just think about the word itself. Uh, the word itself, patience. The word, the word that Paul uses here in patience, the the Greek word, um, is is something that it literally means long-tempered. Like if you were to actually kind of word, you know, uh, part of the word by part of the word translated in English, maybe the closest translation is long-tempered. Um, some of the older English translations uh, render it long-suffering. It's kind of a word that's fallen out of use, but I think it's a good word. I think it captures it. Some of the more modern translations are uh, forbearance. And I think all of those words I listed at the top of your outline there. And two of those I want to look at because I think it takes two English words to get at this Greek word, um, both long-suffering and then forbearance. But both of them kind of get at the full flavor of Paul's term here. So the first one, long-suffering, this, this, this side of patience is the idea that I have the ability to put up, or uh, I'm sorry, I have the ability to endure for an extended period of time any sort of opposition that I might be experiencing, any sort of suffering that might come my way, and to show perseverance in the midst of that over a long period of time without wanting revenge without wanting retaliation, without lashing out. That's, that's that long-suffering piece. The second side of, of patience is more the idea of forbearance, to, to forbear. And again, not, not a word we use a whole lot, but forbearance is the ability to put up with the shortcomings of other people. It's to put up with the weaknesses of others around me, um, and to show forbearance toward them without getting like really quickly agitated, without becoming quickly irritated and kind of wanting to fight back. So patience is a tough word, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's a difficult thing, and it demands um, our strength. It demands a certain amount of stamina from us, from us, and it depends on us being to exercise control over my reactions when those times might <clears throat> come. Um, so patience, it's, it's something that we realize it doesn't come naturally. Uh, none of these do, but maybe this one the least obvious to me. And so it, it underscores the need. I need the Holy Spirit's enablement. If, if, if I'm going to really have patience being demonstrated outwardly in my life and, and experienced inwardly, I'm going to have to have help because I don't have this on my own that well. So um, here's what I want to do. I want to look at, um, let me give you a quote, and, and, and this might kind of set it up. Gregory of Nyssa, he was one of the early church fathers. He's called, one, he's called one of the Cappadocian fathers, so he's from like Asia Minor area is what that means. And he, he, he died in like the late 300s, okay, so he's like alive in the fourth century. And he had this great line, he said, an ethic, or, or you might say a virtue or whatever you might say, an ethic without a living example, it's just a dead statue. An ethic, meaning if we just talk about it, we're going to talk about the, you know, the virtue of whatever, and we just talk about it, it's, it's like a statue. If I don't see it embodied in someone, like that's a totally different thing. You know what I mean by that? 
if you have an ethic without a living example, like what does this look like? It's just a dead statue. And so I thought, let's do this. As, as we think about patience, let's look at it in a, a, living, uh, a, a living example of that. And the living example I want to look at with the concept of patience, because I think this is actually almost the definition of it, is the God of the Old Testament. And you might hear that and kind of be like, that doesn't seem like a very good idea. <laughs> because, man, I think of the God of the Old Testament. I don't, I don't think patience, I don't think long-suffering, I don't think, I think of maybe, maybe a God who's kind of capricious in like lashing out. I think of a God who, 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 who like flies off the handle, who's harsh. And that seems to be kind of the opposite of patience. But let me see if I can build a case otherwise. Um, so there's a key event in Israel's history. Okay, go back with me. In Israel's history, there, there's this key moment where, where God, for the very first time, says, this is what I'm like. It's the first time it's ever done. This is who I am. He's talking about his character. This is what I'm like, and it's really interesting when he chose to do it. Okay, so you, you remember the Exodus, Israel, Israel is in slavery in Egypt, and God delivers them uh, from there, this is the Exodus, takes them out into the desert to this mountain, Mount Sinai, and that's where they enter into covenant with him, right? So they, Mount, uh, Moses goes up to the top of this, it's a sort of temple presence mountain. It's spoken of like the temple and like the tabernacle are where his presence is in a unique way. He gives Moses um, the, the requirements of, of, the, um, of the contract or uh, covenant that they have, and do you remember Moses comes down with, with the agreement, right? And do you remember what he finds the Israelites doing at the bottom of the mountain? There's an altar there, <laughs> and they're worshiping these golden calves, right? And they're being told by the religious leaders, this is the God who brought you up out of Egypt. So immediately after entering into covenant, Israel completely blows it, okay? So that's the context and then God says, for the very first time in Scripture, I want you to know what my character, my being is like. Not just what I do. I want you to know what my being is like. This, that's the context. And here's what he says. I want you to know what I'm like. Exodus 34, verse 6. All this has just happened. I, and I think this should be on the screens there. He says, the Lord, or Yahweh, that's the word, there, which is his covenant name. Yahweh, Yahweh the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And see, these, these attributes, for the very first time where God says, do you want to know what I'm like? He does it right after they've, they've broken trust. <laughs> he says, I want you to know what my character is like. And these characteristics, they emphasize long-suffering, don't they? They, they, they exemplify forbearance. These characteristics explain why, despite what they just did, this apostasy of worshiping this golden calf in Exodus 32 and breaking the covenant, it explains why in that same chapter he says, I'm going to forgive you and, I, and, and we're going to renew that covenant. I'm going to enter into it with you again. Slow to anger is a good way of expressing what we mean by patience. Uh, th that famous verse, Exodus 34, 6, it's interesting. If you, once you hear it, you'll see it used all throughout the Old Testament. It's used 
all over the place because this is God's character. This is who he is. Uh, Maybe one of the most beautiful ones, Psalm 103, verse 8. We read this. Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. It's this exact same phrase. He's picking it right up from Exodus 34. Abounding in love. And then he says, he will not always accuse, meaning there, there are times that he gets angry, that he does judge. But he says, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Listen to this. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. What's the word for that? Grace? Yeah. Or he doesn't repay us according to our iniquities, our sins. That's grace. That's mercy. And the psalmists and the prophets often compare God's compassion, like that that slow to anger kind of thing, compare it to how a father, an ideal father, would respond to his children, which, as any parent in here knows, takes a lot of patience when you have kids. Even when judgment is, like, clearly deserved, God is so patient especially especially if there's any chance that the people will, will say, okay, we're turning away from that. Do you remember the prophet Jonah? Remember this guy Jonah? Do you remember what he's asked to do? He, he, um, he goes to Jaffa right on, on the Mediterranean coast there, uh, which is a port city, and God has told him, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh are the arch enemies of Israel. And he says, and I want you to deliver, now this seems like a fantastic message to deliver, given who, Jonah hates Nineveh, okay, hates them. And he says, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them that because they're wicked and evil, I'm going to destroy them. Why wouldn't Jonah want to go with that? That's the only message. There's no, there's no other clause, like unless, <laughs> there's no other clause. It's just go tell them, I'm coming, I'm coming with a hammer, baby. Why wouldn't Jonah do that? He doesn't want to. Why? Because he knows the character of God, and he doesn't like it at this moment, which is really, really interesting. In fact, Jonah actually criticizes God. He criticizes him for being patient and being forgiving. Jonah was actually embarrassed and angry at the very qualities that God had revealed back in Exodus 34 and shown to Israel all throughout their history because now they were going to benefit the people he hated. And he knew that. Listen to the words of uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 through 4 two. When God saw that they, this is speaking of Nineveh, um, saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. Now there was, you have to realize, there's no message in the text that God said he would relent. Jonah didn't come with that message at all just that you're going to be judged. And he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Look what he says here. I knew it. I knew you would do that. Dang it. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a, what's he pulling from? Exodus 34, right? I knew you were. I know that bit about you. You're this gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. Ugh. Right? Ah. A God who relents from sending calamity. See, we tend to read the Old Testament and we think, man, the Israelites were, must have been kind of scared of God. because he. No. The Israelites thought of God as this 
amazingly patient, loving, long-suffering God. And it was so different from all the other gods. Not only does God say that he's slow to anger, he says, even when I, because, you know, he says, I will get angry. I mean, no qualms about that. I will become angry. You destroy something I love, right? Any good father say, I will get angry. But even when I get angry, he says, it, it won't last forever. In fact, the, the prophet Micah saw this aspect of God's character, that, that he doesn't stay angry forever, um, as something so unique to Yahweh and so different from all the gods of the other people. The, the other gods, they were capricious. Am I making them happy? Am I not? Are they going to get upset? No one knows because there's no stable character there. Listen to Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Micah writes this. Who is a God like you? And he's referring to Yahweh. Who pardons sin and forgives transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. That means what's left over of Israel even after they've been judged. You do not stay angry forever, he says, but you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. And then there's this beautiful picture of forgiveness. Listen to this language. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. In Israel's history in the Old Testament, yes, there were times when God spoke of his anger, when his anger burned might be some language that's used, when judgment came. But you need to see, you need to see those moments in the light of an extremely long history of God's patience over century after century after century. Um, often God's judgment fell only after warning, after warning, after prophet, after prophet came, and he kept saying, turn from it, turn from it. There will be a consequence to this life you're living. There, I promise it'll be a consequence. Turn from it. I don't want that consequence to come to you. Um, an example, uh, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, do you realize Jeremiah for 40 years, <laughs> think about think about a chunk of 40 years, of, for 40 years, of his life, he had the exact same message that never, never materialized. The message was turn or there will be judgment. 40 years he did that and realized, and, he, and, and, and marveled at God's patience. I mean, Jeremiah's finally like, okay, I'm done. just bring it. This is, this is tiring. Or, or Hosea, Hosea chapter 11, verses one through four, he writes this, listen to this. He says, when I, uh, I'm sorry, when Israel was a child, this is Yahweh speaking. When Israel was a child, he said, I loved him. I called, and, uh, and out of Egypt I called him, but the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim. Ephraim is just like a synonym used oftentimes in the prophets for Israel. Uh, taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they didn't realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. He says, to them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. I remember when my kids, 
are, are all getting older now, when they were real, real little, all four of them, I had this experience with all of them, where when they would get in trouble, maybe they had done something that put themselves in danger, and they usually got in more trouble for those sorts of things, not because I wanted to harm them, but because I wanted to keep them safe. And so there would be punishments. And when they were real little, you know, even a small punishment, a swat on the bottom, it's tears, and you know, they'd have to go in their room or whatever. And I remember doing that. And I didn't do this perfectly. Oftentimes I would discipline out of anger, and I did it inappropriately. When I did it well, after I disciplined them, I would go to them and I would explain, you know, here's why it happened. But I would never just send them off afterwards because I wanted them to know that relationship was there. And so I would take them in my lap and I would hug them. And it might be for five minutes because I wanted them to know my discipline doesn't break relationship. You know, one thing that would almost always happen, they'd be crying and there's like liquid coming out of every orifice of their face. You know what I mean by that? And I'd be holding them on on my shoulder and when I would, you know, I'd get done. I mean, you know, like what's on your shoulder? It's just, it's just this, this disgusting, right? And I, I remember doing that. And what I realized is I bore the stain because I loved my child, right? Because see, every father who loves his child bears the stain. And every mother who loves her child bears the stain amidst that. It's interesting, one of, one of the Hebrew words for forgiveness means to carry. It means to bear the stain. That's just what the word actually means. So when God is patient, when, when God forgives, it's only because he chooses to carry our sins on himself. He, he chooses to bear the weight or the cost, you might say, on his own shoulders. And of course, that's where the story's going, isn't it? That's precisely what Jesus did on the cross. In fact, Isaiah chapter 53, one of these, one of these uh, prophets who kept saying, turn, turn, turn. Isaiah 53, he spoke of one who would come called the suffering servant. And he used this language for him. He said, surely he, he the suffering servant, whoever it will be, he took up our pain and he carried or he bore our sufferings. And Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's going to carry it. For he bore or carried the sins of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. See, the supreme patience of Jesus, it was demonstrated as he endured the violence, as he endured the cruelty, the injustice on the cross. But do you realize, and, and that's the big one. I mean, that's one that really matters. But, but you know what? Sometimes I don't think about, but I, I, I should be. Think about the patience that Jesus had with his students, his followers, right? Three years. I mean, you've, you've probably read through some of these gospel accounts. How do they behave with him sometimes? Are, are they always understanding of what he's trying to do? Are, are they sometimes, you know, fighting with each other, and they're more thinking about themselves than about him? Are they, are they slow of heart, which means stupid <laughs> at times? You ever have people like that in your life? Who, I mean, think about just, he, he, he perfectly engaged with patience, with people who he was pouring his life into, I mean, giving everything to. And how did they so often react? Tons of faults, tons of failure, selfish behavior constantly. But Jesus is perfectly patient through all of those things and times. 
So why are we talking about that when this is, Paul's not talking about God having patience, he's saying you. He's saying patience is the fruit of the Spirit in your life because all of that frames up for us, all of that tells us what's wound up in your life if you allow the Holy Spirit to ripen the fruit of patience in you. It's gonna, some of this, there's gonna be some connection. There's gonna be some parallel to this. And again, remember, we're only scratching the surface on all these. I'm wanting us to sort of lean in a direction, and then as we think about this, say, man, I need to apply this. I need to dig deeper. Yeah, we all need to do that outside of here. So let me give you two observations or implications about God being this long-suffering, patient God, and then he calls me into relationship with him and says, I want you to image me in the world. Here, I think, just again, just two quick observations. If there are two, there could be 200. Number one, patience will involve or have something to do with enduring suffering. God working patience in your life will have something to do with you and me enduring suffering. The Bible teaches us very clearly that God's people will suffer from hostility of those who are enemies of God or enemies of God's people, and those enemies could be human, they could be supernatural, could be satanic, whatever it might be. And so Jesus' example all of a sudden becomes really crucial for us as we think about that. And we have to think about Jesus' suffering, not just that he suffered, but the way in which he endured the suffering. That's, I think, where the key lies there. Listen to um, one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his top three, Peter, writing one of his letters, 1 Peter chapter 4. He says this, and there are three observations here about suffering. He says, dear friends, number one, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer as a Christian, he says, don't be ashamed, praise God, that you bear the name. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue doing good. So three, three things that Peter quickly points out here when you do suffer. Number one is don't be surprised. <laughs> um, remember Jesus, the apostles have been, have been warning again and again, you're going, and we talked about this I think last week, your, your peace is going to be attacked. You are going to suffer. So don't be surprised. Number two, no retaliation. Why is that? Well, because the example of Jesus. Jesus didn't retaliate, not even in word, when, remember, we're told he could have called down a legion of angels, of supernatural forces, to wipe them all out, and yet he didn't do that. And then number three observation of uh, Peter's in this text is no quitting. Don't quit. When you commit yourself to the care of God, don't just sit back and wait. He says, carry on doing what you're called to do. What's that? Do good. What has God called you to do in your families, in your life, in your workplace? Keep doing that and leave the consequences up to God. And, and, and Paul knew, 
Paul knew this from experience. Paul's not writing from an ivory tower saying, this is how I think you guys should live. Paul had been through so much of that. 2 Timothy 3.10, Paul writes to, to Timothy, who knew his life well, had traveled with him, had been in some of those places, and he said, Timothy, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. He said, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in King Jesus, he says, will be persecuted. So under this point, let let me give two caveats, (laughs) two helpful nuances to some of this before we go on to the second point. The first caveat is um, there's a temptation when you're going through a trial or a struggle, and that is to, to, to assess the meaning of all the trials. You know what I mean by that? Something happens, you're like, oh, I bet the reason that happened was because of that. Oh, I bet the reason this happened was because, oh, I bet what God's trying to do is make me, don't go there, okay? You will become a spiritual neurotic. It is not for you to figure that out. What we have to realize is this this tendency for me to kind of, um, I'm looking at appearances, that's all. I'm looking at the current appearances of what's going on. God's looking at the ultimate result. I just have such limited view. I'm looking out of, you know, the front of the window is all of the car. I'm so unaware of all the other pieces going on. So the, the, um, the fruit of patience in my life is what allows me to stay out of those weeds. <laughs> because patience would say, I'll leave it up to him. I'll leave it up to him why all this stuff is happening. And um, there's, a, there's a great um, story. It's, it's an Eastern folklore story. It's about a man who lives in a little village, and um, <clears throat> one day his, his, his horse runs off on him. And he's got a neighbor, and his neighbor comes over. He goes, oh, bad luck, huh? Your horse ran off. That's bad. And the man just said, what do I know about these things? And so a couple days later, the horse came back, and he brought about 20 other wild horses with him. And the neighbor comes over and goes, oh, it was good luck your horse ran away, right? And the man goes, what do I know about these things? I can't, I can't assess that, anything like that. A few days later, <clears throat> the man's younger boy is going out to, to, to tame one of these horses to break him. Horse kicks him, breaks the, breaks the boy's leg. And the neighbor comes over and goes, oh, it was bad luck those horses came, huh? Your boy's leg is broken. He goes, what do I know about good luck and bad luck, <clears throat> the fellow says. Well, a few days go by. And these, these thugs come by in order to recruit forcibly uh, young people for this, these sort of uh, gangs that they have. And they're looking for able-bodied men. And they're going to pick this boy, and they see, oh, he's got a broken leg. Let's go on to the next village. And the neighbor comes by and goes, oh, it was a good thing that those horses came, huh? It was good luck, right? You see the point, even in, in, in what is just one little series of episodes we don't know what lies ahead, do we? And to try to assess to be that neighbor, oh, that's good, oh, that's bad. <laughs> Many times we just do not know. And again, one of the worst things you can do is try to live in that way where you are constantly trying to assess and make sense of it. So patience would say this to you and to me. Why don't you wait until you stand before God face to face 
and you will finally find out that there were reasons why he didn't stop this, why he maybe allowed that. And what will be exposed is both the heinousness of evil and yet also the majesty of love and good and God's good purposes. But so there's an element of humility is what I'm trying to say. If I have this patience, this fruit of the spirit of patience, there's an element of humility of me going, I'm not going to try to figure it all out. <laughs> I don't know, but God says, just, just keep doing good. Just stick in there and leave that up to me. Second caveat, um, while the fruit of the Spirit produces um, patient endurance, that's not the same thing as resignation. Sometimes I think we can, we can uh, think we're being patient and we've just resigned ourselves to doing anything or anything that's going on. In the midst of, of such suffering, this kind of persecution, even when you're enduring it patiently, I would say there is a, a legitimate kind of impatience. And again, all this stuff needs to be nuanced. We probably need to have much deeper conversations. There is an element, a legitimate element, of a kind of impatience too. And what I mean by that is it, it's right that we should cry out to God. It's right that we should pray that He would bring an end to these things. Right? In fact, he's promised he will do that eventually. Um, down through the ages, even including people in the Bible, people have longed for the day when God would act to end injustice, right? Of course. People have longed for the day when God would act to end oppression and violence and evil. If you remember the people in um, Revelation chapter 6, the saints, their cry goes up to God and it says, how long? Sovereign Lord, how long? So we long for the day when God will command, be still and know that I'm God. We long for the day when, when he will, as Psalm 46 says, he will make wars cease to the ends of the earth. Oh, man, I long for that. <laughs> I want it more every single day as I experience more difficulty and more challenge, as I see more brokenness in myself and in others and in the world. But until that day, your calling and my calling and my challenge is to wait with hope, to wait with joy, because we know that our waiting, it's not in vain. Psalm 33, the psalmist says, we wait in hope for Yahweh. He is our help and our shield. In him our heart rejoices, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Yahweh, even as we put our hope in you. Okay, second observation about, um, about this, and last one. Patience is going to have direct relation to you forgiving other people. Forgiveness of one another. Patience means... Remember the word forbearance? Forbearing others. It means putting up with things that you don't like <laughs> or putting up with things you wish people wouldn't do or you wish th things you wish people would do or wish they would do. It means you make an effort to bear with other people who irritate you, 
other people who annoy you, or even maybe worse. Forbearance is when you choose to forgive people rather than, I'm I'm just going to hold a grudge. Forbearance is when you choose to overlook something that's been hurtful to you. And I'm not, I'm not talking, there are extreme cases of abuse, and again, like I said, th- these are all nuanced conversations, but where we live most of our day, I'm speaking there. Rather than fighting back, rather than using harsh words, or making sure that, that even, you know, you kind of get the last word in. Forbearance is when you learn to be patient with others. Why? Well, Jesus one time told a parable. Do you remember the story he told? He says there was, there was a man who owed a master. He had borrowed enormous sums of money. And it, it would be the equivalent of, you know, a couple million dollars today. And the master finds him because he, he's not able to pay it back. And he pulls him in and he says, give me the money. And he says, I, I'm sorry, I don't have it. Please have, have patience with me. Don't throw me into jail because that could be done back then, debtor's prison. And the man out of graciousness says, you know what? let's just wipe it clean. There's probably no chance you'll ever pay me back. Forget about it. You're absolved. Can you imagine? Uh, I mean, she's just like, oh my goodness, uh, dead over my head. It's just gone. And that guy who's been treated that way, it's all gone. He walks out and he sees a guy who owes him like 50 bucks. And he grabs him by the throat and holds him up against the wall. and says, pay me that money back. And he says, please be, same, same spiel. Please be patient with me. I'll work. And the guy goes, no, forget that. S- throws him into debtor's prison. And then the other servants hear about this and they realize the difference the, and they go to the master and they go, remember that guy? You wiped his debt. Look what, you know what he did to Larry? And this master says, all right, go get him. I'm revoking that grace. Throw him into debtor's prison. Jesus' whole point is if you are truly a repentant person, if you've come to Jesus in, in honesty with a lot of self-awareness of, man, I'm really screwed up. <laughs> I'm really broken. I got so much junk in my life. How could you possibly, with all of that, and it's all ultimately an offense to God, how could you then go to someone who's offended you what looks like 50 bucks compared to a million and say, nope, I won't wipe that clean. I won't forgive you. I won't offer my forgiveness to you. No, I'm not gonna stop holding that grudge. He says, "That's what that means is you didn't really come to Jesus in full recognition of your brokenness. Because if you were, you would realize the disparity between the checkbooks the ledger accounts in this way. The kind of patience that, that we are called to step into with the help of the Holy Spirit, it's really difficult. Wouldn't you say it's even really needed in our world? Think about even in the, in the Christian church. Think about the constant uh, tweeting that goes on or Instagram and commenting and commenting on comments, right? And again, I've, I'm guilty of this at times myself where the lack of patience with something that's done, something that's said, and we pounce, right? We just pounce on someone, whether we know them or not. And Jesus is saying his community, his people, are supposed to look different. They don't pounce at irritation. They're long-suffering. They're patient, and that patience is informed by the recognition of the patience that God has shown me. He's so good. He's so patient with me. But I struggle with that. I, I, I heard this um, statement that Margaret Thatcher, do you remember her? She was, had been the prime minister of the UK uh, the early 80s through, I think, the 90s. And um, she had this great line about, about being patient. 
<clears throat> she said, um, I am extraordinarily patient, provided I get my own way in the end. <laughs> That's spoken like a true politician right there, right? I love her honesty, though, because sometimes that characterizes me. I can be really patient as long as I'm in control of how this all turns out. And what God's point is, hey, buddy, you're not. <laughs> you're not in control of it. So my call for you to be patient isn't, isn't just to all be calm as long as I know it's all going to work out. You have, no, you have no idea how it's going to work out. But he says, but don't worry, I do. And I'm much, I'm much smarter than you are. And so here's, here's my application for us as, as we turn and go into communion here in just a moment. This is, what I'm do, this is what I've been doing. This is what I would invite you to do with me is ask this question this week to the Spirit of God and say, what is, what is an area of your life that you need the Holy Spirit to begin to ripen patience there? Because there's probably something I'm guessing with all of you, if you're at all like me, <laughs> if you're even half as bad as I am, you've probably got something that you would say, when you, if you're really honest, if you really look, if you really seek enough self-awareness, that the Spirit would say, that's an area that I want to ripen patience in there because you're doing it on your own and it's the chaos machine. <laughs> Just, it's not working at all. And maybe there's something even tonight as we've been talking, God already put his finger on you know that's an area. <laughs> and he says, he's not condemning you. He's saying, invite me into that. I would like to come into that with the life-giving power that I have, like sap into a branch or a twig, and cause fruit of patience to grow. And it'll be slow, so be patient with the process. <laughs> but he longs to do that. So the question is, will, will you respond to that invitation of the Holy Spirit to allow him to come in? into whatever area it might be. 1 Peter 2.20, we read this. Peter's speaking of his Lord, Jesus. He says, when they hurled their insults at him, Jesus, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, listen to this patience, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Man, that's patience, <laughs> He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus' patience is what accomplished this. Living by the Spirit, being patient through all of that is what it took to accomplish the greatest act in history, and it's what we celebrate. So during this next song, over these next couple minutes, I'll invite you to go to one of the tables as we do every week. Get the elements of the cup and the and the bread, this bread representing Jesus' body torn, broken for us, the cup representing his blood shed in patience to bring us the greatest gift of all. And go to him and maybe ask what area he would want to move it in your life. When you've taken that on your own, wherever you might be, stand back up and let's close out in this song. Man. I love that reminder and that truth. If you have your, your uh, bulletin, let's, let's recite our prayer that we've committed to during this whole series. It's in there. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen.